then I was working at this really weird perfume and cologne store that was in West Hollywood. And when they made like perfumes and colognes that are supposed to have synthetic pheromones in them, like to make you want to like fuck or talk or, you know, respect the person. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest is an actor, writer, comedian who starred as Brody and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and has written for DuckTales and more. It is none other than Ben Seaman. Hey, Ben. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Great, man. What kind of led you to come out to like LA and pursue acting and writing in comedy? What made me move out here? I my journey. I, in high school, I was very much the first two years all about art. And I thought I was going to be like a cartoonist. Like, that's what I wanted to do. It was like, I want to have a comic strip, like Foxtrot or (laughs) something like that. Great one. And then (laughs) when I was a sophomore, this girl in my French class asked me to be in her play because she had to direct a one act play for like her class. It was like a directing class. And I had never really thought about it. Like I had acted in like a middle school play or something. And then I acted in like summer, summer school plays when I was a kid, but like, I didn't really thought about acting. So I did her play and then I really liked it. And I was like, I feel alive. (laughs) (laughs) So then I did plays like all through high school. And then I went to ASU and I did the sketch teams there and the improv team and they I was very lucky in a way, like they had like a weekly improv show and a weekly sketch show. And we would like, like Saturday Night Live put together a sketch show every week. And like, it was pretty, like it was a big time commitment. And I only cared about my comedy shows and like not so much about school. Um, I did fine in school. I did, you know, probably got A's and B's. Um, But uh, after I graduated, I was like, what am I gonna do? And I I think some other people have said this, but I was just like, I was too scared to move to LA. Like, I just thought I couldn't handle it. I was, I remember I was in this um, uh, improv show called The Jesters with a Z and it was owned by a Mormon family. And um, most of the audience were Mormons looking for family friendly comedy (laughs) because there's a lot of Mormons in Arizona. And like, there was a guy that was in the group that he like, one time he was like, I'm moving to LA, I'm gonna give it a try. And then he like came back two weeks later and was like, can't go back to that city. It just kills you. Shaking with a cigarette, just like, oh my God. Shaking with a cigarette. And I was like, what happened to you in two weeks? Like that you just are like, I can't, you have to give it a try, you know? Cause everything that I've heard is like, you gotta give it like at least a year. Mm to even know if you can handle it. So then I, I wonder if that damaged me for a couple of years. I just, for a couple of years, I just like worked at Target and stuff. And then um, in the garden center, which don't they don't even have garden centers anymore. But uh, I don't know, one, one year I just kind of moved out here and um, I've been out here for 15 years, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do at first. I didn't come and be like, oh, I want to be an actor. I want to be a writer. I was just like, I want to do something creative. So I was like taking improv classes everywhere. I had saved up like, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars that I burned through real fast because I was like taking classes at UCB and taking classes at 
Second City and taking classes at I.O. Like I did everything except for Groundlings, which is I still have never taken a Groundlings <laughs> class. Like I don't have anything else against Groundlings, but um, I just got really involved with the improv community. That's interesting. I love how like the King Jester went and came back broken and it made you go, I, I can't survive out there if this guy couldn't do it. And here you are 15 years later, thriving, doing well. What was it you think about improv in general? Like just performing from college to shows to eventually, I mean, I, I would say overall your home became kind of UCB. Like that was the one that you gravitated towards and really excelled in. Like what, what do you think about your personality or about the form or the style that really connected? Again, it was so like, I was never a kid that was like always showboating and trying to be a performer. I was kind of, I was a nerdy kid. I like went through puberty really late and I was small and like gay, you know, like not openly gay in high school and stuff, but like, I think I got picked on a lot and maybe, you know, it's that thing of like, oh, I gotta be funny to try to get myself out of situations. I don't know. I just always loved improv. Like, um, especially I, I, I did a lot of short form improv, like in like college was all short form. And then uh, the gestures was all short form and very, but very wholesome and family friendly. But like, I love the idea of like, oh, I don't have to do a gibberish game or I don't have to like make someone guess that I'm Pamela Anderson coming to their party, you know, like I get to just like build the scene. So like writing and improv are pretty much the same, you know, you're just writing on the spur of the moment when you're doing a scene. So I, I think I like writing and creating but without having to do any of the work that comes with writing, you know, I don't, right. I don't know. You're a writer too. So I hear what you're saying. It's the, it really does become live writing. And instead of having to sit alone in front of a laptop or have a piece of paper and a pen and just like bleed out and try to figure something out. It's just like, I'm talking, what I'm saying now is the script and that's the show. Like it's very freeing, I think as a, I would, I would say you're, you're definitely a performer who I've seen who I would put not, you know, you can do a bunch of stuff, but you definitely have a very good writer's mind. Like there's some people you see do improv and you just go, oh, you are just like, you're just in it. You're just going to be in the scene. And there's other people who are going to like, I think we're in good hands because they know story structure and they know that the scene has to build. And you, you're a performer <laughs> who I think I go, oh, I can sit back. I can enjoy this because it won't, it won't flatline. It'll, you, you have a natural ability of rising action and climax and falling out. Like you get story structure. Was that anything at ASU? Did you study, was it just studying acting? Were you studying screenwriting? Were you studying like philosophy? At first I was studying theater and then I had like, I almost was going to cry. <laughs> my poor parents that paid for a big chunk of my school. Like I was almost going to graduate. And then I just had this crisis where I was like, what am I going to do with a theater degree? Like, like, what if I'm not even like, I can, I think I'm funny here, but what if I go to LA and I'm just like, not, you know, it's that thing of like, it gets real. You realize that there's millions of people better than you. So then I was like, I got to get a business degree. So I switched to marketing I got a marketing degree because I was like, maybe I'll be like a, a copywriter and I'll be like working a big advertising agency or something. But uh, no, ASU was just like all, all short form. And it, it's so funny because we, the sketches that I wrote in college that I thought were so amazing, like I saved a lot of them, the scripts of them. And I remember there was the UCB philosophy is like, 
you try to find one kind of unusual thing and you really explore that one idea and blow it out. Our sketches that we wrote were like basically like 10 minute one at plays where it was just like a beginning and a middle and an end. And there's just like no game. Like they were just these crazy sketches and some kid had gone to that joined the group had gone to like a workshop or something. And he was like, well, my teacher said that a sketch should be about one idea. And then you just really explore that idea and blow it out. And I remember all of us like, fuck you. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like we like tore this kid down and then he was like, exactly right. It's so, it's so funny. Like, no sketches about a 10, 15 minute long experience. You drag the audience through. And as someone who's acted and written for stuff, you have one you gravitate more towards now. Are you kind of in a boat where you are like, I'm actually just preferring to write or are you like, nah, I prefer to act or where are you at with that? I mean, especially because of all the pandemic stuff, I haven't been doing very much performing at all, but so many people haven't. Um, I, when I first came out here, I, I wanted to act a lot more and I tried to like do all the acting things. I got a commercial agent cause I was on a team at UCB and there was Laura Sue, who, who had just, if you were on a team at UCB, then you, you, you she picked you out. Yep. <laughs> but I'm kind of like an anxious, it's, it's so interesting because I, whenever I did improv shows, like I was never nervous. I, I never cared about that. That didn't bother me, but I'm just for commercials. I'm so bad at it, man. I just get nervous. And I auditioned for so many like helpful Honda guys and like uh, I don't know, you've probably gone for oh, helpful yeah. Honda guys before, oh, right? Yeah. Like I I just, I never booked a commercial and I was just always nervous and never going out enough. Like I, I mean, especially cause you've been in a lot of commercials, like the more that you're going out, the more that you become dead inside and you don't care about it that much. And then you're more comfortable. And it was like, I was only going out like just enough so that I was always still nervous when I went out. Like, yes. It's a, uh, it is, it's such a strange thing to explain to people who don't do this, where you go like, you really have to get to a place where you stop caring about the thing you care about. Like you just have to be like, oh, okay, what do they want me to read for? Great. I'm okay. If I'm right, I'm right. But I hear you. Cause there's times where like, Oh, I'll have a lot of commercial auditions. I'll get to that place. And then I won't have one for like weeks. And suddenly that one I get, it's like, I got, you got to like, calm down. Cause you start to be like, is this it? Is this it for like a couple of weeks? Like, yeah. So they kept you, <laughs> they kept giving you auditions just spaced out enough for all of them to matter. <laughs> oh exactly there was always like uh and i i also like a a very big like because i would do improv and sketch and so i was very big and so they would always be like can you tone it down a little bit or can you be a little more real and i remember the time that i decided that i would stop auditioning for commercials was i was auditioning for this commercial where i was supposed to appear under a woman's yoga mat with a cup of coffee and like hand her subtle it was like it was like yes yeah, so it was magically appearing under her in her class and giving her coffee and I kept like <laughs> making a weird face because it was like coming up from under her yoga mat like and they'd be like we yeah. want you to be really you know be really small about it be really subtle about it it's a common common commercial note you'll read it you'll see what the commercial is it is the most fantastical crazy thing you've ever read and you go in the room and they're just like Director's really cool, real cool. He just wants this real. He wants it subtle, thrown away. And it's like, I'm a centaur, right? And I'm throwing a spear, <laughs> like, and I'm I'm fighting an ancient war of mythological creatures, but just like, yeah, just real, just like kind of throw away. I try to just do nothing. 
just to see if they'll be like, well, a little more, but they're always like, great, great, less, less, even less. I'm like, wow, <laughs> they just want just like, just blank canvas speaking the words more often than not. I mean, you talked a little bit about this with probably lots of your guests, uh, but just like, you know, it's so weird to come out to Hollywood and you struggle and struggle. And like, I didn't get uh, like, you know, somewhere along the way, I decided I want to focus more on writing than, than performing. And I love performing. Like my dream of dreams would be like to sell a cartoon show or, or a, like a comedy show that I could play a part on. And like, cause I am not an amazing versatile actor. I, I have a, a range, you know, like a small range of what I can do, you know, when I was on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend a couple of times, it was only because people were like, oh, Ben can kind of talk like Fred Snyder. Um, I'm thinking of him because he is similar to this person. So it's like, I I didn't get that part because I auditioned for it and I nailed the audition. It was because they were like, oh, this makes me think of Ben. Almost like, you know, everyone was like, oh, Louis Anderson makes me think of my mom for baskets. I want Louis Anderson to play my mom. Except I, you know, played a deformed grocery clerk that <laughs> had like three or four lines, but like I I wanted to focus more on writing, but that nothing happened with that for like, I didn't get my first writing job that was like substantial until after I'd been here for 10 years. And like, I moved out here when I was 26 and then I got my first writing job when I was 36. And like, if, if I had told myself that that 26 year old, like, you're going to need to wait 10 years before anything happens. Like, like, I think I would have gone back to Arizona. I don't know. Like, I remember someone said to me, like, if you're here and you're nice, it's going to be hard for you eventually not to work because people will remember that. And I was like, oh, okay. It might just take a while. But if you're good at what you do, and I think even more importantly, like pleasant to be around as a human being, eventually people will be like, like you said, like granted, like, you know, the craziest girlfriend thing was fantastic and you were right for the role and it's super funny, but you wouldn't have gotten that if you weren't a performer and a nice person to be around for people in the room to be like, this makes me think of that person. I hear you when you say like, yeah, it would be tough to tell 26 year old Ben, like <laughs> it's going to take a little longer than we think. Um, you might have to last a little longer than the two weeks that other guy did, but eventually you'll get there. You know, when you live out here and you've probably been asked this by like cousins or younger people, like, like, what's your advice about <laughs> making it in Hollywood and stuff? And or sometimes like, you know, I'll have coffee meetings with people that are like, can I pick your brain or can I ask you for advice? And it's such a weird thing because everybody has their own path and there's no way to be like, this is what you should do. Just if you do exactly this, then you'll be famous. Like to me, I always say my number one thing is to, yeah, like just be nice to everybody and make a lot of friends and be nice to them because everything that I've ever gotten 99% of the time has been because of a connection and it is about who, you know, but you can know a bunch of people. And if they think you're an asshole, then <laughs> it's not going to get you anything. Like there's been people that I, you know, if I was on a show or doing something or some, you know, if I was writing for something and someone was, on a lower position than me or someone that I didn't think of as anybody, like I still try to always be nice to those people because then they end up being like, they sell a show or they, you know, I, I wrote for DuckTales because I had a student, like the showrunner was one of my improv students. And like, he just remembered that I was a nice guy a couple of years after the fact. So that's how I got that job. Yeah. 
I think that's just sound advice because the the bottom line is just well, just be nice. The bonus is because you don't know who anyone's gonna be. Like, I don't want people to be like, well, be nice because they could be the most important person and hire you because people can see through that. If you're just like nice to someone as like a ladder step or marketing thing or schmoozing, it's sort of like, yeah, that guy's. I feel like it's smarmy. But if you're just like, oh, nice, with the idea of like. I mean, how many people do we know that at the time we met them, we might've been like, I don't know what this person's going to do. And then suddenly they're like on hit shows and they're doing great. And you just go, I'm glad I'm just naturally a nice person. I could have <laughs> easily misread what that person's up to. Yeah. When I think of almost, almost famous, like I'm always like, I, there's so many, there was a period of time where it was like, every year I would interact with someone that would suddenly be on SNL the next year. <laughs> and I was Mm-hmm. And I always felt like, oh man, I, I was nice to them, but yeah. I'm not their friend. Like I'm an acquaintance. <laughs> like they're not gonna, you know, if someone reaches out to somebody and yeah. you just met a couple of times, like I'm not gonna go put my head on the line for someone, but you know, like yeah. so I can't be like, hey, uh, you know, Heidi Gardner, I I worked with you once for a month. Like, <laughs> will you get me a job yeah. at SNL or something right. like that? It's just like, you just want to have enough friends and enough goodwill around you that eventually your inner circle starts to move up and you're like, okay, now I'm in a good crew. Speaking about the idea of advice, I've been curious, this is a strange question, but for, for Ben, 10 years from now, what advice do you think he'd give you today? Oh man, I hope. I'm hope A that I'm alive. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. First thing you meet him and you go, okay, we made it. We're alive. That's a great start. That's a great start. It'd be like, oh, (laughs) another 10 years. That sounds great. That's so interesting because I I I think a little bit related to what we've been talking about. Like maybe a couple of months ago or just the last year, I, I realized like that it is just so important to be nice to everybody and just to when you're like in high school and you, you know, you have your first crush and they break up with you or something, everything seems so important in high school. And then, you know, your parents would always be like, when you get older, you'll realize that this doesn't matter. And you're like, shut up, mom. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) everything seems so big. And I think for me, like if I have regrets of things that I've done, like I've, I've never done anything truly terrible, but I think that maybe, you know, you were in groundlings and that's like such a, such a competitive intense program and you know even if you try to go in saying I'm just doing this for fun like you're not really <laughs> like you you want to you want to get somewhere you want to advance and I I feel like when I was doing UCB and I was on teams and stuff like I took it so seriously and I would get so stressed out like if I was on a team and someone on my improv team was bad like I would see them as a weakness and see them as like you're gonna fuck this up for me and so I wouldn't necessarily always be nice to those people like being mean for me is not I don't I don't I guess being mean for me is maybe being neutral or something but like you know I would like worry about like oh this person on my team isn't good like they're gonna bring us down like we need to get rid of them we need to you know try to get them to quit the team or something like that so I I think now looking back at that, like those are things that I regret where I'm just like, well, it's it was a, it's an improv team. Like it's it UCB improv team, who cares? You know, like, like why would you not be as nice to that person as you possibly could? So if I was giving myself that advice now when I was 26, I wish I had 
not been so stressed out about such things that now seem so small, you know, like being on a sketch team or an improv team when you're in it in the moment, you think like, this is my path to success. This is how I'm going to get noticed, you know, because of all those things where it's like all these people in SNL came from Groundlings or UCB or Second City, like this is how you make stuff happen. So if I'm projecting 10 years of the future, what I would tell myself is, I don't know, I hope, I feel like I could work harder. Maybe, maybe you would be like, you need to do more stuff. <laughs> maybe you need to save more money. Probably like there's those years that you live in LA. I just remember so many times just thinking like, I'm so tired of being poor all the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry of like, so tired of like going to coach improv at someone's shitty apartment because I need that $60 or like, yeah. you know, that they cancel and- on you at the last minute. You need that money. Yeah. And Ben's talking, he did coach one of my improv teams for, for a, a stretch. So I don't know if we ever canceled on it. We probably did at some point. Well, you didn't have a shitty apartment. You had a nice apartment. I was just talking about it. We did. I guess in the time you were coaching, I've definitely had some shittier apartments. But yeah, Ben was a fantastic improv coach. But I but I hear you about, I feel like that advice can work kind of any, any time in your life of just being like, it sounds like for you is about being present and not putting so much weight on certain things and just realizing like how fun a lot of this can be because like you know you're on this team and you're performing but for you in the moment it was like if this person you know doesn't play the game well enough and we look bad I look bad they're a weak link as opposed to being like cool we get to hop up on this popular stage and perform and I'll do you know my best and I hope everyone else does their best but just try to raise people up, you know, don't, don't mm-hmm. see people as a weakness. Like, again, I never like, I never like went to like the head of UCB and was like, you got to get rid of this person or like, yeah. you know, I never like did any kind of betrayal thing, but like, it's only going to make things more tense. You know, if someone's, if someone's really struggling, then what can you do to try to make them better? That's probably the best thing to do instead of just bitching about them to other people. So do you have for yourself a definition of success? I think if you're able to make ends meet and and be happy and consistently happy with what you're doing, you know, and you're not worried about making ends meet week to week, maybe you're not living a high, highfalutin lifestyle, but that you're happy and you're feeling creative and you're doing what you want to do, then that's probably success. I think the biggest dream that I have is like, I'd love to sell a show and I'd love to be, uh, running a show and like maybe you know I I'm so jealous of the people that sell cartoon shows and then they're like you know this character should be played by me and I should uh get all the residuals from from voiceover performing like right I, I think that would be great and that's something that's hard like I mean, I've been trying to pitch cartoon shows more recently and it's so hard for me to understand the world of what what one why one person sells something versus another person and there's this show called Dogs in Space and Netflix, and I'm sure it's good. It's it's probably very cute, but I just remember hearing around around the rumor mill that like basically some very young artist went into Netflix and was like, I don't know, what about like Dogs in Space? And they were like, sold. <laughs> yeah. Are there times in your career and being out here where you feel like you've you've made it or you've hit milestones? Well, I mean, there's so many things that I've gotten to do that are crazy that even though 
even though, yes, it would be very scary for 36-year-old Ben to tell 26-year-old Ben that it was going to take 10 years. Like, there's so many things that I got to do that were, that have been really great. Like, I, I, another thing that I always loved when I was a kid was I loved puppets. I loved the Jim Henson company. I love the Muppets so much. Like, I was so fascinated by the Muppets. I think the Muppet show is one of the things that first made me really like, like comedy and performing and being like, oh, I like comedy. Um, and I got to like, it, it took many years of networking and trying to, but I got to like train as a Henson puppeteer for their like live improv shows. And I did Jim Henson puppet up improv shows and I've met Brian Henson and I've met uh, like puppeteers and Brian Henson like talked to me. And I was like, this is Jim Henson's son. Like, like that was something that happened to me that I was like, this is insane that I get to do this. And, you know, financially that doing those shows didn't help me, but I got to do something that was so cool. And now I'm a, a kind of okay puppeteer. Uh, I met Brian Henson. Uh, what else? I mean, I've met, like I, I, I mentioned Heidi Gardner. We worked on this pilot presentation for Seth Green's company, Stupid Buddy, that makes like robot chicken. And we were trying to do this TBS pilot. <laughs> this is going to be so many Hollywood things all at once, but it was like, when Vine was popular, there was this Vine star named Brittany Furlon, and now she's on TikTok. And we were trying to do a sketch show for her. Right? And so we made a pilot presentation and that seemed so cool because it was Seth Green to me. And I was like, this is Seth Green from Buffy and can't hardly wait. And he's talking to me and I have his phone number because when we were working on it. He would just, he's like a really passionate guy. And so even though this was like a really silly sketch show he would call me and like talk to me for hours about the show <laughs> i was like what's going on like what yeah. seth green is in my phone and you're like i hate to do this Seth, but shouldn't you talk and want to do something else right now <laughs> like, no, 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 we're talking like, oh okay yeah rachel bloom helped me get that job she referred me for that and she wrote for robot chicken and i remember mentioning to her like like seth calls me on the phone <laughs> just talks for an hour and then she was like oh you're that person on this project like there's always somebody that he like decides to talk to a whole bunch I think that was a moment that felt really big uh I think Mm -hmm. when I was able to quit I when I first moved out here I worked at this really weird music licensing company I was working full-time and it was like in Woodland Hills and I couldn't go to auditions and I couldn't do anything and so I quit that so that I could try to do more stuff. But then I was just so poor for so long. And then I was working at this really weird perfume and cologne store that was in West Hollywood. And when they made like perfumes and colognes that are supposed to have synthetic pheromones in them, like to make you want to like fuck or talk or, you know, respect the person. <laughs> like They're just a lot of oxytocin or whatever. I don't, like It's got the love hormone. It's got the love hormone. And I was doing that because like it was flexible and I would like mix perfumes and colognes, <laughs> like ship them out. But then when I was able to start teaching at UCB as a teacher and have that be my job and quit that job, that was another moment where I was like, I don't have to have the shitty part-time job. Like, and teaching improv, like everything's comparative, you know, like there's times when if I'm writing for a TV show or I've had something great. And then I go with a long stretch without getting the next gig. And I had to go back to teaching improv. Like I I think about it as like, Oh, I have to go teach a stupid class again. But like, you know, like a couple of years ago, if I had imagined, Oh, you can be paid just to teach an improv class. I'd be like, that's amazing. (laughs) You know, 
it's all perspective where eventually you go that weird feeling of like to go back to teaching improv for some reason would be like oh, i feel like i'm stepping backwards or doing something but then going like how much worse would it be to go back to the cologne perfume shop <laughs> and like have, like you know like just realize like this is still in the world of creativity and performance where do you sit with the idea of being rich and famous so like i don't care about being famous like i don't I don't need to be famous. I guess there's small things like if my star meter is really low on IMDb, like I'm like, oh man, but like, like I don't think you get much from people following you and trying to take pictures of you and trying to like, you know, become someone that your life is so big that it's like seen under the spotlight. I think it'd be cool to be like, if you're like on a sitcom or a show that people really liked and like, you know, some people recognized you and they just saw you as like, a joy like if I saw the guy that plays cousin Greg on succession I would be like oh it's Nicholas Braun he's so great I love this guy like I bet most of his interactions are positive you know versus like yeah. if you're Britney Spears or Brad Pitt or something you're just never gonna have a normal life like your your life is just gonna be crazy if you're someone that's just like oh I love this character on this sitcom you know like that would be the kind of fame that I want to be like someone that was like one of the background people on the office, like, like a creed or, a, you know, like yeah. someone where it's like, Oh, I love this person. And they're also getting tons of residuals because their show is in syndication, you know? Right. I, you know, you want to be the famous where people are maybe a little hesitant to go up to you, <laughs> like not because you're rude, but just to be like, I don't know. I don't know if I should bother him and not the famous where it's like, yeah, you can just, you can spit in his face. Who cares? Like, <laughs> it's so funny. I made me think about, cause I, I was only on crazy ex-girlfriend a couple of times and I, I like doing it, but I, I wasn't like, Oh, this is what I, I want to be a star, you know, but I went to idle hour, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, there was a bartender that was like, Hey, you're a crazy ex-girlfriend. Like you're, you're the grocery clerk. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I am. And then I was like, can I have a old fashioned? And then she was like, Oh, this is crazy. Someone just ordered an old fashioned by mistake. And I, I, it's right here. And then she was like, that'll be $14. <laughs> and I was like, that was a very humbling moment. Cause I was like, Oh, she recognizes me. She's telling me about how this drink is just sitting here. She's going to give it to me for free. And uh, that was not the case at all. It was pretty sad. Well, speaking of a sad moment, now's the time we got to bring out the, the roast comic to, <laughs> to tear you down. Go ahead and bring out Raz Clifford. Come on out, Raz. Uh, here we go, Ben Seaman. Okay. Okay, Ben, let's just get this out of the way. Don't worry. I won't touch the last name. Okay. I never touch Seaman. Okay. Ben is one of those performers where you go, boy, I hope somebody gives him a shot. A shot out of a cannon. Get him the fuck out of here. Now, what can be said about Ben that hasn't already been said about syphilis? I don't know. <laughs> He's covered the bases. So you get an idea of what this guy looks like. Ben looks like a default character in The Sims. <laughs> like one of the ones no one chooses to interact with, but they're just kind of in the background staring at a wall. Now, Ben has been recently putting these like stop motion comedy shorts together with like Barbie dolls. And they're really funny because like, when you think about it, you just have to picture this adult <laughs> man playing with dolls and he puts them online and nobody watches them. Like for Ben to see a lot of the comedy, you really got to like zoom out folks and get the full 
full picture of what's going on with this man's life. But for this Raz, I had to zoom in on Ben. So boom, you got Raz, kid. And if you see me around, just walk the other way. I, I don't want to talk to you. You got nothing to say. <laughs> Am we I supposed this. to respond? I guess they would give you something I to prefer- say. <laughs> Sorry, Raz. I prefer if they don't respond, but you know, let's, okay. Yeah. What, you got anything to say to me while you got me for, got my ear for a minute? I mean, you really got me because when I put those stop motion Barbie videos together, sometimes my cats will look at me like, what are you doing with your life? So you you, you hit it right there on the head. Yeah. Uh, sorry, listeners. I forgot to mention he has cats. <laughs> that says it all too. Cats watching his comedy videos. Okay. Oh God, this was torture. All right. Bye. Bye, bye Raz. Raz. Okay. Wow. Oh. He's... He's looking rough. <laughs> yeah. He's been looking rough for a while now, for the past few decades. He's, uh, I can't say he let himself go because I don't think he ever wasn't gone. <laughs> well, wasn't it so, quite a scary? I love that he's, he's pretty old school. <laughs> yeah. A shot out of the cannon is pretty old school. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where you'd find a cannon like that these days. Yeah, he, you know, he's in a different time in a lot of respects. Well, you mentioned when you were younger that you wanted to be a like a cartoonist and have a comic strip of the of the note of like Foxtrot, probably Calvin and Hobbes, but you know. Yeah, big Calvin and Hobbes fan. Oh my gosh, great. <laughs> If not like acting and writing, which is what you're meant to be doing, and I'm so glad you're doing it. Have you given a thought to another another career, another interest, or another thing you would you would be pursuing? If let's say you told 26 year old Ben it's going to take 10 years, and he's like, "Nope, going back to Arizona." <laughs> this is the hardest question, right? Like, mm-hmm. I I think a scary thing, and you probably I don't know if you feel this way as well, but like a scary thing about being out here and doing this very specific career is that these skills are not translatable to the regular world. And like, if I can't get another writing job for a couple of years and I have to like move somewhere else, like my resume of writing for a cartoon show about ducks, isn't going to help me get a job at a lot of places. Like, like it's hard, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I just had to watch sister act two for another podcast that I did recently. And in sister act two, Whoopi Goldberg is talking to Lauren Hill and, or yes, Whoopi Goldberg talking to Lauren Hill. And she's basically like, Lauren Hill, if you wake up in the morning and you can only think about singing, then you're supposed to be a singer. Like, so for me, like I, I try to think about what would I do if I can't keep writing and making content for money. And that could very well happen sometimes. <laughs> so I don't know what I would do. I, I think even though this is kind of related to the entertainment industry, like I was always interested in copywriting or advertising. So I would definitely be interested. Like, I wish I could just write for the Wendy's Twitter and like write sassy things to right. people from Burger King or the, the other thing, this is related to media. So I, I don't think it's a true answer to your question, but I like listen to a lot of murder podcasts or like scary story podcasts, like, like my favorite murder and let's not meet and like, I'm so jealous of these people whose job is just to like mildly research something and then tell a story on a podcast. And then that's how they make their life. And they like tour all over the the country doing a podcast. Like they're only famous in this very specific way. Like they're a podcast host, but to be able to make money just 
doing a podcast. <laughs> I'm sure that you would love it if, you know, Nature Box was uh, giving you uh, a couple thousand dollars every every week for this podcast. That that would be a dream too. That seems nice. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of podcasts where it's just like people reading spooky stories from Reddit, and it's like they didn't even write the stories. They're <laughs> yeah. just they just found them on Reddit, and they're just like reading someone else's stories, and they make enough. I have enough listeners that like that's their job man <laughs> yeah it's pretty amazing uh now inevitably when you're a guest on a late night talk show you have a story you've always wanted to tell it could be about anything I guess like I was trying to think about that and just because Betty White passed away recently I got to meet Betty White which is another thing that in my life is like oh other moments where you felt like you made it like mm-hmm. again that wasn't like a I wasn't financially successful in any way, but as a gay man, obviously I love the golden girls and, and Betty White and she was just became this national treasure. But like, I got to do background work on this funny or die video for the proposal, uh, which was like Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. And then Betty White had a small part in it. And funny or die was making like a video for, uh, to promote that movie. And the premise of it is just basically like Betty White is really shitty to Ryan Reynolds and mean when nobody else is looking and like, like, and then he's like being mean back to her. And then Sandra walks in and is like, what are you doing to Betty White? And he's like, no, you don't get it. She's being mean or whatever. So I mean, pretty dumb game, but like I, you know, and I was just supposed to be like an actor on set or a camera person on set or it's always so funny when. (laughs) <laughs> you have to be pretend to be on set but you're on set and then there's people doing the thing that you're doing the the friend that got me the gig because she knew that I love Betty White was like somebody had to cue Betty White to enter the scene like when it was her time and so she was like oh Ben will do it he'll cue Betty White and then they were like okay great Betty this is Ben he's gonna cue you to do your scene and she like took my hands and she was like it's so nice to meet you Ben and it was just like so sweet and so recklessly nice for no like she didn't have to be nice to me like it was so nice and amazing it was like an out-of-body experience but then I had to start cueing her for the video and the problem was she would like start daydreaming and looking off and like I was supposed to like signal her from like 15 or 20 feet away like come on and every, like, every time we did a take, she would start looking away and, like, turning around. <laughs> and I was, like, and there was one time where she was, like, came in late because she was, like, looking around. And they kind of, like, got on me a little bit, like, you're supposed to cure her. And so after that, I was just, like, oh, I love Betty White so much. But I just wish she would look at me because, because. I'd have to like clap, but I couldn't clap too hard. And I have to like whisper and like, cause every time she was just like looking at something else uh, and going somewhere else. And that's not because she was like losing it. She was super funny and super sharp. Like she was such an amazing improviser uh, on the thing. But I just remember meeting this person that I was so excited to meet. And then suddenly being terrified that Ryan Reynolds was going to yell at me because I couldn't get her to come into the scene on time. Yeah, I, I love that because nobody's going to yell at Betty. We're like, Betty, you're missing your cue. Like they gave it to you as almost a way to be like, oh, we can yell at this guy. We can get mad at him. We can yell get- at Betty yeah, I'm only realizing this now that you pointed it out after all these years. I was like, well, I mean, I know she's famous. I know she's very well established or something, but why 
why is it a job like why wouldn't she just be responsible for paying attention and knowing when it was time to enter the scene like why did they outsource that so that she they're basically like betty you don't even have to pay attention you don't have to watch this you don't have to listen because ben here he's gonna bring you into the scene yeah. when it's time it's now <laughs> ben's job to be on top of it betty you just keep living your sweet life just just look around and take in the day enjoy yourself ben you've got to be on top of her <laughs> you've got to get her in this scene on time well, Ben, I'm curious, is there, what's something people wouldn't know about you that you'd want them to know about you? Well, I mentioned that I can puppeteer, that I'm a pretty good puppeteer. Well, I'm a big, a B minus puppeteer. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people in the world are F puppeteers. So B minus is very good. People feel strongly about puppets. I feel like you sometimes ask like, oh, what are projects that you're working on or things you're trying to pitch? Like, uh, my friend Mike Leffingwell and I are like working on this puppet show pitch and like I just have found out how many people really don't like puppets like <laughs> and I, I also like had this like late night writing workshop for NBC that I was like I almost got like I was in the final like thing for it and I had to do an interview and they were like eh, tell us other things that you like and I was like oh I like puppets and they visibly were creeped out by it and I did not get that workshop um, I'm in the category where someone said oh I'm can puppeteer and I like puppets, I'd be like, great. What a fun thing. They were wrong at that NBC late night workshop for visibly <laughs> being- Could have turned my life around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what Any other projects the listeners should be keeping their eyes peeled for? Well, I mean, you mentioned the Barbie web series. <laughs> they, <laughs> that's probably the most fun thing that I like do for myself that I just like to do is this brunch is called brunch and it's on TikTok. It brunch the series and it's just three Barbies that 70% of the episodes are about them having brunch, but uh, we're, we're kind of running out of brunch related ideas. So. Yes. Very nice. Well, check out uh, the brunch series on TikTok. It's very fun. And thanks again for, for hopping on and chatting. Thanks buddy. It's so good to talk to you. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.